All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 110 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli coming to us from a sunny Philadelphia. Frank, we got about... uh, Six inches of snow last week, and we had like plus 21 degrees. It's a very different lifestyle we are living right now. Yeah, we're teetering on the very start of golf season. And I could tell you that I would be out playing this week if it wasn't for the NHL trade deadline. Now, 14 days away. Well, this is where it uh, usually conversations maybe start to become a, a little bit more serious. You know, it's interesting for the longest time, people thought the Vancouver Canucks uh, or maybe the Dallas Stars would be traders. Well, the Dallas Stars have the number one wildcard spot. They're right behind Minnesota. And Jason Robertson scoring hat tricks for fun right now. Back to back hat tricks. First time in the NHL that a player has had hat tricks in consecutive games since Alex Ovechkin did it in January of 2020. 2020 doesn't sound all that long ago, but it was pre-pandemic. So it feels like another lifetime ago at this point. And Robertson has been really nothing short of a revelation. You look at the way that his career has unfolded. Sort of this unheralded second round pick that uh, Mike McKenna, I'm interested to hear his story. He said uh, he arrived in Texas in the AHL where McKenna was playing and they actually had to send him home. He was out of shape. Now he's turned into this guy that, you know, it's taken him four years, three, four years to get there. And he's got a hundred points in 101 career NHL games. It's he's now a a focal piece, a centerpiece of that franchise. If you're the Dallas stars and you're Jim Nil, you're building around Jason Robertson, Rupe Hintz and Miro Heiskanen. Those are your three guys. Those are your pillars. And you got Jake Ottinger and net. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, he did play 60 games for Texas. So did they send him home for a week or what? Yeah, I think it was coming out of still. his junior season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So still, I mean, it's the way that this guy has like, he, he's knocking on 30 goals. He's got 29, I guess six in a weekend will help you, but he's got 29 in just 47 games this season. Well, you look at his last year uh, when he was in Kingston and Niagara, you know, he started in Kingston and he had 23 goals in 24 games. And then he got traded to uh, Niagara 
And he finished with 79 points in 38 games, a two-point-a-game player. Like, he goes to the AHL, 47 points in 60 games, including 25 goals. Like, he's had pretty big numbers. You're right, he wasn't, you know, a highly talked-about draft pick. But, man, his draft year, he scored 42 goals. Then he scores 41. Then he scores 48. Like, he's been a goal scorer. Yeah, it's just, I think when you look at, you know, this league, it's it's difficult to be a driver of play from the wing. Oh, yeah. And he like that line has been bananas. Robertson, Hints, and Pavelski, like so, so good. And, and you look at the numbers Pavelski's putting up, you know, are they the result of Pavelski driving it or is it Robertson that's driving Pavelski? Maybe it's just really good chemistry for both of them. Well, it's, you know, I'm curious about John Klingberg. And you're the Dallas Stars, Frank. You're you're sitting in the number one wild card spot. You're you're tied in points. Just you know, you got one game uh, extra than Minnesota, so you're right there for third in your division. Like John Klingberg, I know he, he you know he's asked for a trade, but if you're Jim Neal, do you trade him when your team's right there, or do you just keep him and say, you know what, if we're going to lose him, we'll lose him and deal with it in the summer? That's how I envision. Like to my knowledge. He's not available. None of yeah. the guys on the stars are. I mean, I think you could probably include Braden Holpe as someone that is available just because I've said this before. It's nice to have an insurance piece in net, but you've got Anton Hudobin in the, in the AHL who's playing, you know, why not trade Holpe, get some assets for him. If you can, like if you can get a second round pick for Braden Holpe, isn't it worth trading him? to then bring up Hudobin who you're paying anyway. I mean, Hudobin's had playoff success. Ottinger's your guy. I don't see any reason to not trade Braden Holpe, but I guess it's easy to say from where I'm sitting. Yeah. I'd have to look up the numbers. How well is Hudobin playing in the American league? Cause you're right. You're paying him, but if he's just not as good and, and you're a team that feels, Hey, we're rolling at this time of the year. We want to go with our best guys. I can see it because like, what could you get for Braden Holpe? That would be my question. That, right? Well, I said a second round pick. Yeah. Would that, would that do it for you? Like, so in the AHL, uh, Hudobin, he's only played six games, but he has a nine Oh three. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I think that would be a fairly big step down from Holpe the way he's playing right now. Okay. But Okay but Holpe's barely playing himself. Ottinger's played almost every game. Yeah. Well, and then that's the question. How are you going to run Ottinger into the dirt here down the stretch? Or do you want your backup to play? What do they got? 25 games left. Do you want your backup to play at least seven? Yeah, I would think something like that, but I mean, the stars are on an absolute roll since oh, February 1st. They have a nine, three and one record. The fourth best mark in the league over the last five plus weeks. Like they're in a spot where not only have they pretty much, I think assured themselves of a playoff spot. They're in a spot where they might hit the playoffs as one of the hottest teams in the league. It's a little early. Like, yes, there is a such thing as peaking too soon, but you look at the way they're rolling. This is one of those runs that could carry you on a pretty deep run, I would think. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I wonder if, and Jim Nill's been there. So I wonder if he says, you know what? Yeah, that second rounder is nice, but we uh, we want to have Holby just in case. But you, you have down. to have some mix, right? Like you can't have, you can't have all these guys. So I think they're, they're not, I think, I know they're working to try and re-sign Joe Pavelski. But you can't have Klingberg and Holpe and Radulov and all these guys just walk in free agency and not get anything for any of them, can you? Well, Radulov, I'm not sure how much value. And, and same with Holpe. But Klingberg's obviously going to be the tough one, but he also plays so many minutes, it's kind of difficult to let him go. Maybe, you know what, Frank, maybe with Klingberg, you could at least trade his rights in the summer and a team would want to, you know, get the jump start on free agency. Maybe that's where you'll salvage a little bit. Like now I know that you don't get a ton for, for rights of a player, but you know, Klinberg's pretty elite defenseman, man. Like he, there's not many guys, especially right shot defenseman. I, I would think lots of teams would be willing to pony up something of a draft pick. And maybe that that's where you say, okay, we think we can get a third or something, maybe fourth. And instead of a second for hoping we keep him. maybe that's their thinking. I don't know. I, uh, I just think they're in a spot where none of their guys essentially maybe aside from Hopi are available. So 
they're going to be an interesting team in the sense that they've also done it before. Like they've gotten to a Stanley cup final with this core. They've got some confidence. They could be a really dangerous team. Now, now I want to talk about Frank, something that we don't see very often. The last time we saw it was a decade ago in February of 2012, when Sam Gagne had an eight point night, Nick Schmaltz, seven points in a matinee on Saturday against the Ottawa Senators. And uh, just a fun little trivia tip for you. The first ever seven-point game in NHL history happened in 1918 when Joe Malone had uh, seven points against the Ottawa Senators. So uh, Nick Schmoltz becomes only the 45th player all time to score seven in a game, man. Like those are, those are like, you know, U9, U7-like numbers. Seven points is unreal. Yeah, it's you look at his stat line and it's also completely transformed his season. Like he's inched close now to a point per game player, 33 and 36 games. Before that, he was at 27 and 35. Um, it's changed the complexion of his year. Um it's it's wild to see. I mean, you look at you know who like I'd love to go through that list and and look at like, is there a more anonymous seven point game than that? Meaning like a guy that you don't spend a lot of time talking about or thinking about, like who else is on that list? They well, go, wow. Like hey, I, Frank, guess what? You can read about it uh, today at dailyfaceoff.com. I sent an article. I've got all 45. I did the whole, uh, every franchise leader of every team and uh, the guys who have scored seven points. How about Steve Vickers? Never heard New of York. Steve Vickers of the New York Rangers holds their franchise record for most points. Cause that's what Nick Schmoltz did. He set the new franchise record for most points um, for Arizona slash Winnipeg. No Coyotes player had ever actually scored even six points. Um, Dale Howard, Chuck and Steen and a few other guys in Winnipeg had six. And so Schmoltz, you know, he kind of resets that, but yeah, like there's Steve Vickers in New York was the one name. And I looked him up. He actually had a decent career yeah, in, the, in the seventies playing for the Rangers. But honestly, I hadn't heard of him. And, you know, like Tom Bladen, now I'd heard of him before. Tom Bladen, a defenseman, had eight points. He holds the Flyers record. Tom Bladen, a uh, a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Philadelphia Flyers. Yes. But so. eight points in a game, Frank. You kidding me? Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, him and Paul Coffey, the two D-men who hold the uh, the record. So um, Matt's going to have that article up a daily face-off today. So people can go through every franchise uh, to see who their record holder is. And there's some interesting names out there uh, on certain teams. And, you know, obviously some obvious ones that you would expect, like Lemieux and, uh, and Wayne Gretzky. But there's quite a few other ones, Frank, that you're kind of like, oh, this guy. Because Steve Vickers was definitely the one who stood out for me for the Rangers. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to reading. It's a very, it's a very Jason Greger article. Oh yeah. I like looking up stuff. So yeah. um, it's always intrigues me because when like Schmoltz had the seven points, I'm like seven points. So I'm looking well, I, like I was there for Sam Gagne's night, Frank. And I still, it was, and Schmoltz had four points in the third period, just like Gagne did. Like Gagne at one point in the third period that night, he scored on four consecutive shifts. Like his reaction at one point after the third point is seventh point and, and Hall and Eberle were playing with him and they were like, and Gagne was almost like, what is happening right now? Like he didn't even believe it. What other reaction can you have? Everything you touch goes in and you could spend three weeks, you know, oh. not getting any points. No, it's yeah. It's, it's amazing for Nick Schmaltz to do that. And it's funny, like look at Montreal, they're seven and one in their last eight, the coyotes, like the bottom feeder teams, Frank Buffalo Sabres spank, like none of these teams that you look to think to be the free space in the bingo card, are playing that way right now. They're all giving it to some of the other teams. It's, it's, it's no, rather comical. The, the teams in the mushy middle have struggled. The Washington yeah. Capitals, the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, you know, go through the group. The Minnesota Wild have been wretched in the last couple of weeks. The Nashville Predators have been very average. Um, you know, it's Vegas has been no good. Like there's been a number of teams that have really struggled in the playoff race and, it's been the bottom teams that have been feasting on them. Wow. I know. Well, you look at the Edmonton owners last week, they played Philly, Chicago, and Montreal, and they go one, one, and one. And now this week 
They have to play Calgary, who's the hottest team in the NHL. They're nine, one and one in their last 11 games. Then they got Tampa and Washington this week. And, you know, the Edmonton orders, they're not on the brink of falling out of the playoff race by any stretch because they sit, they got 64 points. They're two back of Nashville, but the, the uh, Preds have a game in hand. So they're not out of it, but you have another average week or below average week and everybody else is around you like Vancouver gained ground on them Anaheim gained ground on them Vegas separated LA separated like in a playoff race right now it can become a mental grind for teams where if you have a bad week you can you know, can drop down you know three four spots and it becomes a problem and the orders you know they finally recalled Stuart Skinner uh, Mike Smith's sick. Um, now, I don't know if he's sick or tired, maybe both, but um, the orders are going to need some goaltending here, Frank, this week against the uh, the Flames, <laughs> the Capitals, and the, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. There, They got no chance. The Oilers said Smith will be ready to back up Koskinen this week in Calgary. They just so announced that? They, I think they tweeted it at some point. Um, how do you feel if you're the Canucks? You go out east, right? You're, you're trying to hang in the playoff race. You go three and one. You beat the Rangers, Islanders, and Leafs. You lose to the Devils, and you make up exactly zero ground. You come back and you're right where you started. It's hard to make up ground in this league. It really is. Oh, wow. Especially late in the season, Frank, because of Gary Bettman's lovely three pointers, right? It's, you know, I was looking at it, and historically, there's more of them late in the year. I think teams, honestly, tie games. Lots of teams like, hey, we're going to get the point, and then we'll go for the second point in overtime. Mm. It's, uh, I don't know. There, uh, there's, there's a lot of different spots that, like, I'm, I'm really, like, I think there's a number of question marks. Like, you, you look at the way the playoffs are shaping up now, like, the Oilers have a lot of work to do just to get in. They get oh, yeah. they, they have to either catch Vegas or catch Nashville. I don't think they can even catch Dallas at this point. I mean, it's possible mathematically, but Dallas is playing so well. It's going to be hard to do. Like Dallas can catch Dallas is tied now with Minnesota. Of course, the Wild have one game in hand, but you know, after beating them on Sunday with the help of Robertson, like Dallas might be in the driver's seat for that third spot in the Central. Oh, hey, I remember a few weeks ago, I think Tyler Uramchuk uh, asked us, who was the one team you thought maybe could slide out in the central? I, I just thought it was Nashville because their shooting percentage as a team was off the charts. And you just, I didn't think that was sustainable. And they're not out of it by any stretch. And, you know, the central could easily have five teams in the postseason. But, you know, if you go back and look at February 1st, the Predators looked in a much more comfortable position than they are. And that's a team, Frank, like I wonder what David Poyle's going to do. Like there's a lot of interesting teams here in the next two weeks who who might all of a sudden be like, man, we got to add something because like I think Ken Holland and the orders, they can't afford to miss the playoffs. Right? Like he's got to do something. I know they don't have a ton of cap space, but he's got to do something. Yeah. By the way, I, I misread the tweet from the Oilers. Yeah. yeah. Skinner's yesterday. backing up. Yeah. Skinner is backing up Koskinen. Yeah. Um, so what do they do? I don't know. Like, honestly, I truly believe that they don't think there's a difference maker that they can acquire. Not as a goalie. That, that as a, yeah. But that's what we're talking about is goaltending, right? Yeah. They're, well, the, they were the only team a couple weeks ago in a playoff spot with sub 900 goaltending. Yeah. Like the other thing for them that's caught up to them is the injury bug up front. Uh, Pugliarvi, Nugent Hopkins, Cassian, like th- they had guys who could fill in for a short term, Frank, but you know how it is. Usually when you go longer term, when you have multiple guys injured, your depth, it starts to take a toll. And uh, it is interesting that uh, Josh Archibald practiced with the team, right? He's back after having myocarditis. He's still unvaccinated, so he could only play uh, home games or the road games in Calgary. He could drive. Um, their penalty kill, Frank, is 72.7% under Woodcroft. It wasn't good. It, you know, it's been trending down for the last three months. Um, Josh Archibald, the last two years, played the most on the penalty kill for the orders by a large margin, and they had one of the best penalty kills in the league. I know one guy can't make or break it, but they could desperately use him, and he might be ready as early as next week against Detroit. And um, just for their penalty kill alone, like I'm sure that his conditioning and everything, it'll take a while, but you play that guy 10 minutes a night, he'll be an upgrade over what they currently have on their fourth line. Yeah. It's really hard to be a player that's unvaccinated on a Canadian team. Like Tyler Bertuzzi has been able to get away with it in Detroit because 
He just sits out the few Canadian games that they have. It's for them in the East, it's Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, but in the West, it's, it's even harder. Um, Like I looked, if Archibald, let's say he's ready to go on the 15th of, of March, the orders have 23 games remaining. He could play in 14 of those 23, which is not ideal. That's nine game. But at this point, Frank, um, you probably have to use him. Like, why would cool. you trade him? You're not going to get anything for no, him. Exactly. That's what I said. And then, and just who knows maybe, when you can, maybe you meet Calgary in the playoffs. Well, he could play in all those games. My get, or maybe you can convince him to get the vaccine my guess is it's gone no. and i you see all the commercials and you're like you know they're still going on here in the u.s like get vaccinated and it's like if you're not vaccinated now you're probably not going to be so you've made your decision why are we trying to convince people um i don't know like i'd i'd use them why trade them well, unless someone's I, willing to give you some of something of value equal value that you can use i i don't I don't see a reason why you wouldn't use it. No, I, I don't see that you're going to get much in a trade. And they said he's better. He's physical. Uh, he can kill penalties. He's a good skater. He can score you, you know, eight to 10 to 12 goals. And most of them are all five. Like I looked at his numbers, Frank, over the last uh, three seasons that he played, he averaged in an 82 game season, 14 goals a year. And all of them were even strength or shorthanded. Like that's pretty good value. You'll take that as a, as a player. Yeah. The problem is he's, a bottom six player and stuff like being unvaccinated gets in the way. You know, you can at least if you're Tyler Bertuzzi and a a really valuable player for the Red Wings, he's a point per game guy who has 24 goals in 48 games this year. You know, they're going to make exceptions to find a way to work with Tyler Bertuzzi with Josh Archibald in a normal year you know, had he been here, no myocarditis and had been here since October, he wouldn't be on the Oilers roster right now. No, I agree. He would have been traded. But now you you might just take it. And 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 the other thing is you can suspend him for those road games so he doesn't count on your roster. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can suspend him. Uh, he doesn't get paid. And then you could recall someone for those games when you go on the road. So I know it's not ideal, but I won't be surprised. But at this point, their penalty kill is so bad. And the injuries... Him. Their yeah. injuries with Pugliarvi and Cassian, like Cassian and Archibald, both could be back maybe next week. Cassian playing with the full cage. So we'll see. Now, a few other teams, Frank, that we had Bruce Boudreaux and he talked very openly about we're not having any conversations. Where do you like the Canucks? I'm guessing the Canucks can go right down to the 19th and 20th and see where they're at in the standings. And they're not they, getting in. You don't think so? There's no chance. I, I would include them in the same thing as the Anaheim Ducks. Okay. They're like it, they've had, they, it's been admirable what they've been able to accomplish. There's too, there's simply too much ground to make up. Well, they're four points back of the Preds though. I, I get what you're saying, but that's, that's not how it works. They've played two more games. It's points percentage. It comes down to math. Yeah. But they have that seven game homestand where they don't play a ton. And, and so Nashville, I look, Nashville will have played one extra game by the time they get to the trade deadline. So if you're Vancouver and you you have one game where Nashville has one game in hand and you're two points back, would you still go for it? If you consider that over that last month, you've gained seven points on Nashville. No. So you still think they're trading? Yes. I, I, I don't, they may not trade. They may not do a lot. The only person that they have to make a decision on is Tyler Mott. Yeah. The Preds are on pace. This is how the math works. The Preds are on pace for 99 points. The Vancouver Canucks are on pace for 89 points. Even if the Vancouver Canucks continue to play at the same pace that they have since Bruce Boudreaux was fired, well, was hired, excuse me, they're still only going to end up with like 93. They're a long ways off math wise from being in the race. They just are. It's, 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 it, it comes down to pure math. Yeah. Okay. But what, what if you do the math from January 1st, right? Cause what Nashville did in the first few months, that's that padded them. The but lead. that, but that doesn't matter. That's not how we just talked about how hard it is to make up points. That's not how the math works. Look at the, well, does, though, look at the, the Washington struggling. capitals. They're on pace for 101 points and they've played like, mostly garbage yeah. since since November 30th. Oh yeah, because they and the other teams aren't that good, right? 
So I agree that the odds are low, but with every week, like Vancouver keeps pushing. I'm not saying they're going to make it. They made up no ground. They went three and one and made up no ground. There's no, there's no push. Oh yeah. They made up ground. I calculated, man. Okay. So what do you estimate Vancouver's playoff chances to be? Oh, like maybe 15. Okay. 20%. But in two weeks, that's what I'm saying. Like they still have all those games at home. Let's say Vancouver goes five and to do what, what are they going to accomplish? We're talking 30,000 foot view. Well, I, don't I don't think, think they're, they're in massive sell-off mode. Anyway, everyone else has term. Yeah. yeah it, ha- no, I it would have to you. be a hockey trade. There, I don't think no, they're going to the, trade anybody. That's my point. I, cause there was all rumors for last month that Vancouver was going to make lots of trades. My point is I don't think they are even not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but I don't think Vancouver is going to be a big trader is my point. I, I think I really, you know, I believe that Brock Besser is, there's a pretty good chance that he gets traded to who, who do you think like, who's interested? I, uh, you know, New Jersey has been a team that's been interested. There's a lot of non-playoff teams that I think would be interested. And I think, you know, the question is, do we hold off until the off season, which is when you'd have potentially more teams in the mix. Um, But I, you know, I think Brock Besser is in the 50, 50 range, maybe a little bit more than that. Speaking of goaltending, how concerned? I know that he came out and it's like when a GM Frank says, yeah, our coach isn't in trouble. And then the coach gets fired a week later. Kyle Dubas says he has a lot of faith in both his goaltenders. Do you believe him? What was he going to say? Yeah, but well, I mean, I what, think- what was he supposed to come out and say, no, these guys are garbage and they've been no, no, for a long you, period of time. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, Hey, I, th- I think our guys are capable of playing better. I don't think that's a slight. Well, but that's more or less what he said. Um, You know, I think what he said was really smart because what you've done is you've given your guys a public vote of confidence. You've now, you've given your team and them two weeks at the time, it was 17 days to attempt to turn it around and see if one of them can seize the crease. They're going back to Peter Morazic. Campbell is flogging himself publicly. Can't imagine what he's like off the ice. He seems like someone that really beats himself up a lot. And I can't imagine that this, this downturn is, has been good for him. And they're having a total crisis of confidence. Morazic gets the chance last week and is no good. Campbell comes back. Finally, they go back to Campbell, I should say, and he allows five. And I know there were some weird goals there, but it, it can't, I don't know how they could possibly get to March 21st and not address their goaltending. Who though? That's the question. How can you do it? I, 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 only, I think there's only one answer. And I think that's the only answer for anyone that's really looking for a goaltender on the market is Mark Andre Fleury. He's the only guy that I think you can confidently say you are getting a big upgrade in. Now that's fair. Big cap it. Well, not if you chop it twice. Yeah. One it's what becomes one seven five. Yeah. Well, they, they might have to, you look all of a sudden the Boston Bruins are right in the rear view mirror. They're two points out. So now Toronto's making the playoffs. It's it's not like Columbus or anybody's going to catch him, but you know, you, you fall down into the wild card and now you're basically, you know, you're playing either Carolina, Tampa or Florida guaranteed. Like that's, it's just not ideal for, for them. Now they were going to play probably Tampa or Florida anyway, but like, it is a tough situation for them. And I wonder like how much pressure Dubas is on. Cause what if the Leafs make it and have another first round playoff exit, right? Like how much pressure do you think potentially would be if that occurs? Well, that has to be in the back of everyone's mind. I would imagine right in the front office, as you're making decisions that if you go six straight years with nothing to show for it, I mean, how is there not change? Yeah. And I'm not saying there necessarily will be with Kyle, but at roster, something has to give, doesn't it? How many times can you, you know, at least with some of these other teams that we talked about, you know, that have had really good teams for a while and finally broke through like St. Louis, you know, St. Louis in 2019 was the culmination of teams that really started in 2012. Washington in 2018 was the culmination of something that started in 2009. 
they at least won rounds in between. Yeah. You, you want to talk about a crisis of confidence in net. It's a crisis of that roster's confidence when it gets to playoff time. They all, where do they go? How are, how is it that guys are so talented? Austin Matthews has three goals in his last 12 playoff games, Mitch Marner. Like what happens to those guys when you get to the playoffs? I'd like to see them answer the question this year and, and play to the level that they're capable of, but they've got a lot of holes and it's not just goaltending. No, I still don't like their defense. I don't know how you could. Their second pair is a mess and that's with Jake Muzzin healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Now one other team on the opposite side, Frank, that um, is getting good goaltending and has made a real strong push is the Los Angeles Kings. Uh-huh. Are you in on the Kings? And if so, what, what's the most important, like the Dano addition has been a huge addition for that team. It's opened up Kopitar. He doesn't have to play all of the tough minutes on his own anymore, but man, I look at LA, they got two goaltenders that are, that are both playing well and they've been on fire here for the, for the last stretch. They're seven and three in their last 10 games. And they've really been pushing for three months. Like they, They've been one of the more pleasant surprises. We've talked about a lot of teams maybe not living up to it. Uh, the LA Kings, I think, are, are exceeding expectations this season. I don't want to pat myself on the back too much and hurt my arm, but Tyler would be proud of me. Before, this, before the year started, Kings over 85.5 points. Some of the easiest money along with the Kraken under 92 and a half. Yeah, that was easy. That was made. Like, yeah. really, like... Kraken under 93 is like amazing. Um, and Kings over 85. Like I was like, even if they're, even if they're no good and barely take a step forward, they were right kind of in that spot. They're a team that is well coached, has gotten goaltending and they're young players. You can see it on a week to week basis, the steps forward that they're making. Like I think back to uh, a couple, maybe like five, six weeks ago, how much they missed Mikey Anderson on the blue line when he was hurt. Like there are little signs and things that you've seen with some of these young players that have taken a step forward. And Deneau has been a fantastic signing. He's been a perfect fit there. I've said it before, and maybe it was last pod. They're the New York Rangers of the West. They are maybe not quite as good as the Rangers are this year, but they've got the cap space. They've got the picks. They've got the prospects to be a really enviable position for a lot of teams over the next handful of years. And, and the one guy, Frank, who who was a real buzzsaw for years in Nashville and kind of he seems to have found his game again here in the last two months is Victor Arvidsson. And that was a steal. Like anybody in Nashville will tell you when Victor Arvidsson's on his game, man, he can be a difference maker. Like he's just a buzzsaw and, you know, he just fits in well with that team. They don't necessarily have like any one guy who's a major producer. Like obviously Kopitar is, is still their guy, but after Kopitar, like Arvidsson, I think second on their team in points and he's got like 37 or 38 and 50, which is still a good season, but he's really picked up here as of late. And LA is a tough out because they, they can, they can play shut down. Like they're when you look at Kopitar and Dano, I'm not sure there's a team that has a better one, two, you know, Selkie trophy type centers on a team. Like Bergeron's the lead in Boston, but their second line center isn't close to that mm-hmm. caliber. And that's that's what makes LA a tough out. But that's what made that signing work is that he could take on a lot of the heavy lifting from Kopitar. And the the bet was that he would free him up to be able to produce more offensively. And I think when you look at his production, like the proof is in the numbers, like he's, you know, he's going to end up with his best season in a while, really since 2017, 18 in terms of production. Yeah. And it's funny when I say their goaltenders are playing well, if you look strictly at their save percentage, it doesn't wow you. Jonathan Quick's like league average at 908. Mm-hmm. And Cal Peterson, I think is below that, like 904 or something. But when I watch the Kings games, they seem to make like big saves at key times. And that's sometimes that's hugely valuable because it's not like they're goaltending. It's not like Vasilevsky here or anything like that. But um, like Jonathan Quick can still make a few saves. And I know some would argue, well, it's because he's out of position. I don't care. He's making the saves. And he and they just have an ability at key times in games. I found the L.A. games I've watched anyway 
that all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's a, there's like a game changing save like Motombo. I don't know if you saw that save on dry saddle on Saturday night. He absolutely robbed him in the final second of the period. Like just a sick save. I think that changes the whole game. And LA has been getting that from their goalies. You know what doesn't look so good? Cal Peterson's contract extension, which kicks in next season. Five million AAV. Oof. Now, Not you know more than that. Well, you know what we talked about last week, Frank and goalies. Like, how many goalies are there from year to year where you know at the start of the year, okay, this is what I expect? There might be eight, right? There might be eight of them. It's crazy. So you're right, Cal Peterson. What is he? Nine oh three or four? I don't even know. Nine oh two. Nine oh two. He could be nine fifteen next year. He was nine eleven last year in thirty five games, and previous to that, he was nine twenty two and eight. Yeah. Maybe he's one of those guys that just needs to play a lot, but I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, they're going to be spending 10, eight next year on, on two goalies that, you know, they're fine, but that's a lot to spend on two goalies that you could have spent six or seven on and gotten the same results from. Yeah. Well, lots of guys, uh, he's not in a contract here. So that's a good thing for Cal. He knows what's uh, he knows what's coming. Uh, we know what's coming. Tyler Uremchuk, uh, joined, Uremchuk joins us now for another edition of uh, Fill in the Blanks. Yes, it is time for another edition of Fill in the Blank. It's delivered by our friends at DoorDash. 25% off your first order and no delivery fees with the promo code RUNDOWNDD. And uh, I want to start here. First off, it was cool to see uh, the thousand game celebrations for both Mark Giordano and Wayne Simmons. The Leafs had the cool shirts made for the Wayne train and uh, Mark Giordano still weird seeing him in a Kraken jersey. So we're starting with blank would be a good fit for Mark Giordano at the deadline. Jason. It's a good question, man. Um, Teams, it's funny. Like, I'm not sure Calgary actually needs them funny enough. Like their their defense being pretty solid. Uh, I'll say. Colorado could fit. They need a defenseman. So maybe him. But I'd, wonder, I'd rather have Sherrod there. So let me say he would be choice B for me in Colorado. And I wonder how valuable Giordano would be. Like, Frank, you talked about Flurry potentially being just retained twice. Like if Giordano's retained twice and a contender can get him at a buck five, pretty good. I think Florida is the team. <laughs> yeah, they need defense. I yeah. agree with that. But it's such a good fit. Like if you can, so you have so many options. And, and this is what I've talked about previously to properly re-slot that back end in Florida. So you, you have Giordano and Uyghur and Ekblad have played really well together. The chemistry has been there all year. You can either take Uyghur who plays on the left side with Ekblad and put him back on his natural right side on the second pair and take Radko Gudis and bump him down to the third pair, which is where he should be on a contending team. Or you could leave Uyghur there and then put Giordano on your second pair, which really strengthens that group and, and have him, you know, can you, uh, what do you do with Gustav Forslund? Can he play on the right side or can you know put him with Brandon Montreux? Like there's all sorts of different options for the Panthers that I think Giordano could make a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. Next one we got here. Uh, there was a transaction over the weekend that caught my attention. Liam O'Brien got a two-year deal with the Arizona Coyotes. He leads the NHL in penalty minutes. The way I'm turning this, he's one of the last few tough guys in the NHL. Your favorite tough guy growing up in the NHL was blank. Frank? Broad Street Bullies. Come on. You have to. Have oh my God. I had ones. so many really good ones. <laughs> um... When I was a kid, the Flyers had this string of guys in the 90s. Um, I really liked a Sean Antosky. I was a big fan of one of my first ever favorite players was Ryan McGill. From the Duke? Uh, yeah, 238 penalty minutes in 92-93. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that rolled through Philly when, uh, when I was a kid, I don't know. I'll come up with others, but that you got me thinking now, <laughs> Ryan McGill. I was like, that was, I, I, mean, I was five years old and I can remember that was my first ever favorite player. Kimmy Daniels there that time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, well, mine, it's <laughs> Edmonton had some glorious tough guys back then. Um, Dave Semenko, but honestly, I remember Dave Brown, like Dave Brown was absolutely. And I met Dave Brown once and Dave Brown off the ice. He walked, he's, you know, he's kind of tall and slim and he has his glasses on. He, I remember I met him in the airport. I was like 12 and I'm like, I think that's Dave Brown, but he looked like a doctor. <laughs> he was, it was amazing. Like the transformation, the stories you heard from Dave Brown off of the ice to uh, on the ice. It was, I actually know Dave Brown pretty well. He's a scout for the flyers and he is an absolute sweetheart of a human being. Yeah. And I was actually older than 12. I was probably closer to 19 or 20, but he was, I remember they told the story about like when Dave, he was so upset about what Grimson did to him. And then the next day, like they, they made his Jersey super tight. They put like Vaseline on it. Like Dave was a killer to, to quote a slap shot in the best way. So Dave Brown, because when he got the left going, Oh, he could just destroy guys. And Marty McSorley used to just get undressed all the time. He was funny to watch wherever he fought. <laughs> Man, the list of guys you got me thinking about, Dan Cordick. Um, there were just a few guys that came through that you were like, they just they just threw them like that. They were just and they were good. Yeah. I remember a young Tyler Uramchuk, my first ever favorite player was George LaRock. That was, you know, the kind of era when I was a five, six year old and I loved big George LaRock. Um, all right. Nick Schmaltz, seven points in a game. Gregor, you talked about the fact you you witnessed Sam Gagne's eight point performance live. So I'm going to open up this last one. It can be hockey or non-hockey related. The most impressive performance you've seen in person is blank. Someone got one right off the top of their head. Oof. Yeah, the Gagne eight point, like the Gagne eight point night is is it was definitely ridiculous. But um, yeah, recent memory probably that one just because it was yeah. so unexpected too. That's what made it so unique, and you know, like everything he touched in the third period just kept going in. It was crazy. I'd have to figure out. Um, okay, so I think I found it. It is okay. This is non hockey too. I was, I think in college and Barry Bonds was on his tear, uh, through major league baseball. And it was in a sold out citizens bank park in Philadelphia. Everyone was ripping this guy. Like the cheers, the chants were outrageous. They were booing, yelling, and screaming the entire time. So I don't know if it was a record tying home run or at least he, it was a, it was certainly a milestone home run. And it was one of those situations where like the things that were being chanted were so obscene. Uh, the, the things that were being thrown in the stands were ridiculous. And he comes up and just belts, absolutely belts a home run that you could hear a pin drop in the entire stadium. It was, it was one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. That is awesome. I love that standing up the chance too with the, with the big home run. That's awesome. And baseball, I just feel like in general is so, it's so ridiculously hard. Yeah. Like, and to, to do it and to connect like that, ugh, it was just it, like, I get chills thinking about it. Yeah, that is wild. All right, I'll steer back into hockey for the points bet bonus question. Uh, points bet big partners over at uh, the Briar coming up, or it's on right now. It's been fantastic to watch, but uh, the Calder Trophy odds have been updated over at their site. There's a new favorite. It's Moritz Sider is at the top of the board at plus 210. Then it's Zegras at plus 275. Lucas Raymond plus 300. Michael Bunting at plus 400. Uh, the question is, is Moritz Sider your Calder Trophy favorite right now, Jason? Well, it's hard to go against him. Like I picked Zegers at the start of the year and hey, he's right in the running. But uh, for, for Sider, for a rookie defenseman to play as many minutes as he does to uh, to produce what he's done. Yeah, it's, it's hard to to overlook him. It's it's really amazing. I just think like defense is such a harder position for young players to play. And he's he's been electric. He's not getting he's not getting sheltered from anyone in Detroit. So. Yeah, as much as I want to stick with my preseason one of uh, Zegers, I'll happily take a runner-up because I think Sider's going to win. Yeah, I'm with uh, I'm with Jay. He's he's already cracked the 40 point mark. He yeah. plays 23 minutes a night. The vast chunk of his points are at even strength, or at least more than half. 
I don't know. It's really hard to do to jump into the NHL as a 40 point defenseman, let alone one that they trust enough to play 23 minutes a night. Going to be pretty hard to overcome. There you go. That's going to do it for another edition of fill in the blank delivered by DoorDash. You know what? Uh, I couldn't have answered it because it wasn't live, Frank, but I watched the game and I still remember Matt Dunnigan passed for 714 yards one game in the CFL for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And and it was unreal to watch. It was like as, as a kid, you know, you're, I, I loved it uh, as I've always been a fan of offense, but that's I didn't see it live, but I watched it on TV. They st- that's still one of the more memorable games I've ever seen. 714 passing yards in one game. I actually found the home run that I'm talking about. He hit it to the third deck and it was on my 18th birthday. Oh. The third deck. Yeah. How many syringes that he used that day? That's well, too bad. Who about cares? I don't care. It, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like you, you know, the, well, that's a whole separate thing. It was Sunday night baseball. It was, you know, we could talk about steroids all you want. It doesn't make you see pitches any better. It doesn't make your oh, yeah. fast twitch muscles any better. Like it, it gives you some strength to get the ball out of the park, but you can't buy or teach those other things. Oh, hey, dude, I, I the thing that's so frustrating about Barry is Barry was, was going to go down as one of the greatest players ever. He was on pace for 500 home runs and 500 stolen bases before he decided to to expand his head. And that's what that's the part I've never understood about Barry was he was one of the greats. He didn't he was already dominating without it. And it's too so bad because bag. it kind of, you know, it ruins his legacy because he was dominant. And now. Everybody remembers him more as a steroid guy. Like if you go back and look at Barry Bonds as a Pittsburgh pirate, like, oh my goodness, he was one of the greatest players you ever seen. Yeah. I, I don't know. He also treated everyone like crap. Oh too, so. yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't a very good human by the sounds of it. So yeah. maybe, maybe he's matured later in his life. I don't know, but I doubt it. Yeah. It's too bad. Um, Frank for fun. Here we are. Next Monday will be uh, one week from the trade deadline. And I had a few GMs tell they believe this year, because of the limited cap space, the final week is when everything's going to happen. Do you believe that? Do you think this is this is like the the week where they set things up and then everything's next week? Or do you think some of those teams that know they're in who want to make deals will try to get it done this week? I think we'll have a trade by the weekend. Any gallon team? Mm, nope. No. But I think... There's, I think there's enough percolating that everyone kind of, there's been so many calls in the last few weeks leading up to it, that this week was actually really quite quiet. I can't tell you the number of managers I spoke to this week. They were like, my phone isn't even ringing. Calm and I think that's because storm. everyone, no, I think that's because everyone knows where everyone stands. There's yeah. no secrets that everyone knows who's available. Everyone knows, you know, where teams sit in the standings. Everyone knows everyone's cap situation. And now it's just a matter of pulling the trigger. I'm v- Give me two teams. You're most intrigued to see what they do in the next two weeks. Toronto and Florida. Okay. I'm going to the top dogs, Carolina and Colorado. I don't think, I, I don't think Carolina is up to a lot. Okay. Well, that's, and that's why I'm intrigued to see, you know, I just think they got a lot of the same. And I wonder if that come playoff time is not ideal And Colorado. I think they got to add something on their back end. So I'm very, cause those teams are both very, very good. But, I haven't gotten any sense that Colorado is really working on their back end. Yeah. Well, I'll be, if they don't, I think that might be a regret that they have. They're still good though. Like they're so good. That's I could, I could understand. I don't think they sense. need to do anything and they can win the West. They probably right. Yeah. They're, they're definitely the best team in the West by, by a significant margin. Although I will say this, the Calgary flames, like they got Jacob Markstrom. Like that's man, that could be a difference maker in the playoffs for them. The, the flames look pretty good. They got a lot of depth. I still wonder about Colorado's goaltending. I know they've been fine. Exactly. Is Francois, is he a playoff goalie? If Kemper gets hurt. Oof, I'd be skeptical, but a lot of teams. And what, and what do the wild do? They're in a free fall. Yeah. Like there's lots of teams, Frank, like if they lose their starting goaltender, you know, the, the drop off is significant. So, um, but yeah, I don't know what uh, the wild, yeah, they've kind of really hit the skids here. They were just absolutely a buzzsaw there through November, December and January. And now all of a sudden they've, maybe it's just their, their, their swoon and they'll pull out of it. But yeah, they've put themselves, Frank, where we thought they were a lock. And now suddenly both Dallas and Nashville are right there with them. Right. 
I mean, they're not really in danger of missing the playoffs, but they're, they've made it a question at least. Yeah. Um, But they're also at the same time, they're only four points out of second place. So that's pretty good races actually this year. I'll say that. I know there's no race for ninth in the East, but the races for seeding in the East are great. And, and the West outside of Colorado and and probably Calgary. There are, I mean, who else is really even interesting in the East to talk like, Trade wise, the Rangers, Rangers. maybe a little bit, but I could also see them not, you know, they're not going to trade for rentals. So I could see them being in a spot where I don't know. I don't think they're trading for rentals at least maybe where maybe they just don't do a lot and they just see like, cause the other part about the Rangers that's interesting to consider is like, they give up a lot. Yes. And a lot of times they really just get bailed out by Shesterkin that I could see that being really problematic come playoff time. I would agree with that. And like, I think the Rangers are a team, Frank, that I agree. They don't give up your futures or rentals, but I could see them trying to acquire a guy who's got this playoffs and next year. Right. So they have JT him Miller, you know, ding, 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 but they're, right. I don't think Vancouver's trading him. I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's so. going to slide further down my trade targets board this week. Uh, we look forward to it. It's going to be a, a fun week. Some, uh, some, some big games to look for. And hey, hopefully uh, we don't have to wait another decade for uh, someone else to have a seven-point game in the National Hockey League. Frank, have a good one. We will uh, talk to you. And uh, looks like we will have uh, Manny Viveros joining us on the pod on Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. 